should have been recording sooner to document this abuse. That attitude, you could you leave it at the me door. First. You gave me attitude. And when I turned to glare at you, you were like, I'm going to start the show. Like an idiot. Because we weren't recording. You're an idiot. <laughs> hey, idiots. Hey, idiots. Hey, everybody. Is that how we're going to start this episode? That energy? We're choosing chaos today. <laughs> chaos magic. Which I'm learning more about because I'm learning about. It's a, it's a no bones, broken bones day today. Scaring world. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead, Dead Time Stories, a weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and, and it's not it? yours. That's right. It's not your idiot. Idiots. <laughs> If this is your first time listening to the show, go back and start at the beginning. Idiot! No, but stop and go back. We're not always like this. We're like this like a third of the time. You would know if you started from the beginning. Idiot. Idiot. Um, (laughs) You're not an idiot, but you should stop and go back and start at the beginning. Episode one. Grumble throw it to my mouth a little bit. Follow along. Yada, yada, yada. Here we are. Welcome back. Thank you so much. <laughs> last week, you would know if you already listened last week, Sarah was like, is our intro too long? I was like, I don't know. Is it? And she made a face like it was. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I sped it up a little bit. It feels better. Sarah, how you been since last week? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, should I make something up about right. something I did during the week? Because we, to be clear, we recorded the episodes back to back. I know you waited a week between the two of them like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> We're feeling idiot happy this week. I can't stop coughing. I'm just, I'm all fucked up. And Well, the way I describe it is... um. Anytime the weather changes really dramatically, right? It's been super cold because we're going into wintertime. And today it was like And today it's been degrees. warm. It was so nice. But what happens is the inside of my face starts to melt. Uh, and then it it's wants fair. to seep out of my nose and down my throat. And I cough and I sniffle a lot. And it's yucky and nobody wants that. But that's my life right now. But she's going to do it into the microphone for the next 40 no, minutes. No, I've been turning you. away. I've been trying really hard to turn away I'm when kidding. I cough. It's our new ASMR segment. When I say <laughs> our, I mean Stephanie's because I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. I, right, I, I, I don't do that ASMR. Somebody wants to just listen to me coughing. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Except I don't. I'm just living my life. I can't help it. Don't apologize. I just said I'll cut it out. <laughs> All right. Well, fine, idiot. Uh, that's it. I I think I'm good. <laughs> it's the holidays. How's our banter, y'all? It's stressful. Yeah. Y'all getting ready for the holidays? You love this banter? You like this? You like this? Are you into this? I told them that we were picking chaos, so they could have skipped ahead 15 seconds. Well, I mean. And listen for the Leslie to know when we're getting into it. I'm sure people do that. Do you do that? Do you 15 second ahead skip on us? 
Do you? This is our last episode before Christmas Eve Eve. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not the episode that comes out on the 23rd. (laughs) Well, this episode that you're listening to now, you know. This is the 16th. This episode comes out on the 16th. Oh. Our our next episode would be the 23rd, which is the day before Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve Eve. Yeah, I feel like a... A little bit of an ad. It's mine and Charlie's anniversary. Happy anniversary, babe. Ooh. He listens. Happy anniversary. (laughs) He does. Val caught up recently. Yeah. Val uh, binged us and is like back up to to where we are. And then it was on their Spotify wrapped and they posted on Instagram. Yeah, they did. They did. Charlie didn't do that, but he doesn't post on Instagram. And that's because we weren't his number one podcast on Spotify. We probably weren't. He likes NPR a lot. <laughs> I was going to say, was it Fresh Air or Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? <laughs> it might be Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. are just like up first or something. I don't know. He's into that. <laughs> uh, a little taste of, uh, of the tarot in my Philly tarot deck which I have, and it's great. Um, in my Philly tarot deck, the high priestess is Terry Gross of, of Fresh Air on NPR with Terry Gross. So silly. Because that's here in Philadelphia, if there you didn't know. Bam. And if you don't know, now you know, friend. So, yeah, this is, all right, Christmas Eve Eve. Happy Christmas Eve's Eve's. No, that's the next episode is Christmas Eve Eve. This episode is the 16th. The next episode is the 23rd. Yes. The oh, 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 the oh, episode oh, we record oh, after this episode. Oh, oh, oh. Got it. Cool. Let's get started. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Chaos. Uh, hey, Stephanie. Hey, Leslie. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Chaotic ghost. That's a poltergeist. All right, friends. So last week we talked a little bit about the history of tarot and the tarot deck that many of us know today as the writer weight deck, but we're going to call it the Smith deck deck after the artist who painted it, Pamela Coleman Smith. But today we're going to talk about the cards that make up that deck, that make up the traditional tarot card deck. So I mentioned before, it was actually two different decks that are brought together. So we have the Major Arcana, which basically translates to, um, like, the big secrets, and the Minor Ooh. Arcana, which are the little secrets. <laughs> With the idea being that the Minor Arcana pertain more to kind of, like, everyday stuff, like paying your bills and going to work. And the Major Gross. Arcana pertain to, like, bigger life events, like, you know, somebody got married or, like, Buying a house. you bought a house. Right. I was good. At- oh, are you psychic? Uh, it's just because I think that's if both of us did something big next chapter in our lives, I think that would be what we would do. Maybe get a dog. <laughs> Maybe get a dog. <laughs> so when they created their deck, Arthur, <laughs> Arthur Edward Waite and Pamela Coleman Smith, when they created their deck, it was from an Italian deck that we talked about before. And the Italians being Catholics, it had a lot of very Christian imagery in it. So they removed a lot of super Christian imagery. When they're like, they get that it. out of here. Make it a culty. Right. There you go. 
But there was some stuff that they had made a little more religious. So, for example, there was the Pope card, which they changed to the Hierophant, if you are familiar with that deck. If you are not familiar, it is card number five. <laughs> yes. Um, and the Papist, which is like the Popess, became the High Priestess. While the Lover's card, which previously depicted a medieval scene of a clothed man and woman receiving a blessing from a noble cleric. So there were three people on the card. It was changed to a depiction of the naked Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's more what the Lover's card looks like now. So before it was a threesome and now they're just like, we're like, no, Right. No, and I was like, out. a threesome? But they say it wasn't a threesome. They say it was like a clergy person. Like it was someone like binding the two lovers. They were like, let's make it more like Adam and Eve. Like they're the only ones So there. it's like a cuckold situation. They're naked. The first one. He's like watching from the closet in a Superman outfit. And he's outfit. like, that's freaky. That's good and freaky, but it ain't my kind of freaky. They also, the they have the Ace of Cups. They uh, added a dove carrying sacramental bread. And in some decks, you'll find the Ace of Base. <laughs> Sarah, what are you talking about this week? <laughs> Chaos! So uh, the Minor Arcana is illustrated with allegorical scenes by Smith, where earlier decks, with a few rare exceptions, had very simple designs like we talked about. Um, most of them didn't have decorated pip cards. So... Um, the major arcana, the idea with them is that they tell a story. So the major arcana are numbered. There are 22 cards. They are numbered 0 through 21. Something I always have to remind myself. Because I'm like, the world is the last card, but it says 21 on it. And I'm like, right, because the four is zero. zero. Got right. it. There you go. <laughs> so the idea um, with this deck as well is that the... There's a story in all of them. There's a story in the Major Arcana. And then once you get to the Minor Arcana, each suit tells its own story from okay. Ace to Ten. Right? So the Major Arcana, first we have the Fool. The Fool is zero. And in a regular playing card deck, you might recognize the Fool as the Joker. He's not a numbered card. Right? But he's there and he's being goofy and whatever, right? Do you sometimes take him out of the tarot deck like you do when you're playing regular cards with the Joker? It's funny that you say that. So they really, um, like I said, it's zero for this deck. But in traditional decks before the Rider weight deck, there's no number on the Fool. There are 22 cards and the other ones are labeled 1 through 21, but there is no number on the Fool. So the zero on the full, that is or was significant to the Rider weight deck. But we see that now in a lot of cards that have been created since the Rider weight deck that have been inspired by the Rider weight deck. So that was a good question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but in this deck, it appears as as the number zero. So the full isn't necessarily like we think of full, I think, in, in an American context is like somebody who's like dumb Right? Like, you mm -hmm. don't want to be the fool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the fool isn't isn't a bad card. It's just the beginning. It's the very beginning of the journey. So the fool is, like, maybe a little naive, but he's starting out and he's going out into the world and he's going to make something of himself. And he's, you know, got ideas. Mm -hmm. He still has a little bit of that, like, childlike naivete. Sparkle in his eye. Sure. Twinkle. Twinkle. The next card from the fool is the magician. Now, with the Magician card, um, this is, like, theoretically moving up in the process. So, like, next he's, like, learning some skills. 
with the magician, you see a little bit of all of the suits. So on the table, there is a pinnacle, a cup, a wand. <laughs> oh, my God. Why am I forgetting the other? And a sword. Sorry. A pinnacle, <laughs> a cup, a wand, and a sword. And he's, like, holding up another wand like he's doing some magic, right? Sure. So the idea is that, like, in this position, the first card, like, we're gaining some knowledge, some skills. We're moving up. The next card is the High Priestess, who I said was represented by Terry Gross in the Philadelphia Tarot Card deck. And the High Priestess is, like, the next step on the journey to enlightenment, which is, that's, like, where the journey is taking us here. Then we have the Empress. The Empress is also sometimes considered, like, kind of a mom card. Um, (laughs) The Empress is very fruitful. She represents, like, the divine feminine, Mm -hmm. right? And all these beautiful, like, strong feminine powers. She's followed by the Emperor. So the Emperor is the fifth card, but it's card number four. Um, Because the Emperor, theoretically, he holds over land, right? Like, he's the king. He's in charge of all of the earthly things from here. So then above the Emperor is the Hierophant, who previously had been the Pope. So above the Emperor is the religious figure. So somebody who's elevated in that sense. Okay. The next card we have is the lovers. So that unity that, especially if it's a unity that's recognized with the clergy, because it used to be the clergy on the card, right? Like that unity with God and with the above, that's the next step up from there. Um, Then we have the chariot. Um, The chariot, uh, I, the word I always use with the chariot when I'm giving tarot card readings is momentum. Like the chariot represents like the journey, like moving forward and like moving into like, ultimately the future like moving on into destiny um it looks like it's being led by like two sphinxes it's like a dude up there like living his hot chilling he's chilling man the card after that is strength which is oftentimes um related with leo i'm trying to learn more of the correlations between tarot cards and astrology Mm -hmm. because that is something that was really That is something that's on the Toth deck because Aleister Crowley's deck does do that where it on each card will tell you like Sun and Leo, right? Like what it, like what the image represents. But again, that was his interpretation of it because that's what tarot is all about. Sure. But strength, it's easy to tie that to Leo. That's an easy one to remember because it has a lion on it. It's a lady like, like holding a lion's mouth open. Like what you going to do, bitch? (laughs) Got him. And the strength isn't necessarily a physical strength, right? It's a strength of will, strength of character. That is very important. Then we have the hermit. So that's going off to like be alone and find our own wisdom. The thing with the hermit is like he doesn't want other people's and again this is my interpretation which is what the tarot is all about but the the hermit doesn't want to be influenced by the outside like he wants to make his own decisions he goes on his own path it's not that like you know he doesn't have any friends or whatever maybe he doesn't that's his choice but yeah um but he's carrying a lantern so the idea is that like he's separating himself on this journey for knowledge which is the next step in the path the 11th card, which is the 10, is the Wheel of Fortune. So getting to that point of, like, fate, we're finally, like, seeing, we're getting, like, halfway through at this point. So we're getting to see the other side, like, where things are going, where our conclusions are going to lead us to. The next card is Justice. So creating that fairness, creating that balance, Justice, obviously associated with Libra, which, you know, that's me. 
<laughs> the next card is the Hanged Man. Uh, and the Hanged Man is upside down, hanging by his foot, and there's, like, a light behind him, and he looks like he's in a precarious position. But the idea is that the Hanged Man, like, he put himself in this position so that he can gain his own intuition, his own divinity moving along in the path. The next card, people get scared when I pull it, uh, when I'm doing a reading, and that is the Death card. The Death card is the dude on the horse. And the death card is just supposed to represent, like, not necessarily literal death, but, like, the ending of a chapter, like, completion of something as we move on towards the finale. The next card is temperance, and temperance looks like a little angel, which comes after death, depending on what you believe in. The next card after that is the devil. <laughs> so the devil isn't necessarily, like, a bad card. The devil is a, a card that represents, like, we're not in control of the situation. Like there are outside forces. There's something outside of ourselves that is in control of this situation. And, and it it's also, always the devil. Well, and I was going to say, and it looks very similar to the lover's card, uh, like how the people are positioned, how they, how everything is in the picture, except instead of behind them, something that's like holy and pretty looking, it's the devil. And they have like chains, like they're bound to the devil. Then there's the card that people who are actually into tarot are actually afraid of getting, which is the tower. <laughs> and the tower is like a building with like, it's being struck by lightning. It's on fire. There's people falling it's out. Scary. It's scary. Uh, and it represents like shit coming down. Like shit is going down. Everything that we thought we knew tumbling to the ground. Then uh, in this order, we have the star, the moon, and the sun. The star is like, it's becoming greater. We see the sun because it's the closest star, right? And so it's something's coming into focus, but the star is, like, more distant. But this, like, creation, this, like, life force that's through everything, the moon represents, like, the unknown side of ourselves. Uh, then we have the sun, which the sun is, like, everything is coming into light. We're seeing the end. We are almost at the very end of the major arcana. The next card is Judgment, which I mentioned previously. Mm -hmm. um, judgment, it's the 21st card, which means it's number 20. <laughs> and Judgment, uh, in my opinion, Judgment just means, like, the, the consequences of our actions, good or bad. Like, this is, like, the final result, the outcome of the things that we've been working on, the things we've been working towards. And then the final card in the Major Arcana is the world. Uh, and the world, I, I like to say, is us seeing everything come full circle. Um, now, like, everything is complete. This is the end. This is what this looks like. And that's the story that we go on. With okay. The, the hero's journey. Just kidding. A hero's journey. <laughs> it is a hero's I mean, journey. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. So, then we have the minor arcana. So, with each of the different suits, there are... 10 of the pip cards and then you have the court cards which are the page knight queen and king um unlike playing cards where like where like the ace is sometimes above the king and sometimes the ace is one just depends on what you're doing in tarot the ace is one that's the beginning period <laughs> so we have the four suits. The wands represent fire. Fire is our passion, our desire, the things that we really care about, that really drive us. Pentacles are going to be earth. Earth is tangible, physical things. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's like our homes. It's security. It's like the earthly bound things. Mm -hmm. The cups are water. Water is our feelings and our emotions. And then last is swords. And swords is air, which is like logic, wisdom, 
I know I said cups are emotions. Cups are water, which is emotions. I don't know if I said that. Swords are air. Of course, water is emotions. I know. <laughs> which you can know because you're a water cancer. sign. Right, because <laughs> you're a cancer. Um, and your moon is also a water sign, which is Scorpio. I don't know if you remember that. I do because everything else is cancer. And that's like the only thing that's not. <laughs> so um, that being said, so we've got ace through, you know, ultimately up to the king. But ace through 10 is going to tell a story. And then we have our face cards. And ace is going to always be like the beginning. That's the start. It's starting out on a new journey. Lots of hope. Lots of excitement. Two is when, like, we start to get a little bearing. We're still very early in the beginning, and we don't necessarily have stability yet. Three is, like, three is a little bit of strength. Four is when you have, like, an ultimate foundation because you've got four legs on an animal, four legs on a table. Four is when things are, like, okay, things are coming together. Okay. <laughs> I'm stable. I've got this. Five represents, like, that that difficult part where you're in the middle where you're like, okay, like I'm doing really well, but like, I'm still only like halfway to where I'm trying to go. So there's still like a lot of trying to like get it all figured out with five. Six is considered like a divine number, which uh, is weird because we think three sixes and all of a sudden it's the devil, but whatever. <laughs> but six, um, six is like, uh, it's supposed to be like a, like a divine number. Like it's round, it's clean. I don't know. If you make a little pyramid, you make it with six, right? You do like three, two, one, like mm -hmm. going up on something. Mm -hmm. Seven is a lucky number. Eight is a number that is like, it's conflicting because there is balance, but there's balance in a way that it's like, it's hard to find what's the best way to go because they seem so fair, so even. So okay. like the split between like, which way do I go? Is a little too balanced. It's a little too balanced. Um, is it new balance? New ba Oh, shit. Nine is like you're is the verge of completion, like you're almost there. And then ten is like this is the it. orgasm. You got it. It's the climax. Ten. It's the climax, which for different suits is good or bad. Like the ten of cups or the uh, ten of pentacles are both good cards. Like there's a lot of great things going on. But the ten of wands, like the dude is struggling, and the ten of swords, the guy is like lying on the ground with ten swords in his back. So, Not good. Like, so not doing the good. story, even though it follows the same like path, one, two, three, four, five, whatever, up through 10, um, even though that's the same, like the illustrations and the like the air of the element, like whatever is going on there is going to determine like it's not just the numerology, it's the numerology in combination with the suit that's going to determine whether that like this is a path you want to go down or a path you don't want to go down. And ultimately, when you do a tarot card reading, there are all kinds of different spreads that you can do. Uh, the Celtic Cross is a very popular one. Uh, the one that I've done the most of, but I want to start learning more, are just that three-card um, past, present, future spread. That's the one that I like to do the most. And if you are interested in getting a tarot card reading, like, hit a bitch up. Message me on uh She'll Instagram. do it. She's good. Uh, it's a skill that I'm trying to gain more of. And the way that you gain that skill is you practice and practicing the art of tarot as it is an art. It's really about tuning your intuition, right? And like your interpretation of the cards is very, very important. But what's magical, I would say about really tuning your intuition is, uh, when we think about divinity tools like this, and when we think about spirituality, uh, and witches, those uh, historically in the Western Hemisphere, 
have been thought of as like being very feminine, whereas like religion is very like patriarchal and it always like it's like male wisdom and like listening to the man and God is a man and all that BS <laughs> versus like the spiritual world, which tends to like worship uh, the feminine and like, you know, mother or er- mother earth. I use quotation fingers, but mm-hmm. like. There's this idea that the reason these things have been controversial is because they are celebrating the divine feminine feminine, and that women in general, historically, again, in the Western world, uh, have been taught for many, many, many centuries to suppress their intuition and to uh, lose body autonomy in ways because they don't stand by their own right to their body and their choices and their own intuition And in reclaiming this interest in the tarot and the feminine, it is also a tool to trust your own intuition, to strengthen your intuition and trust what you feel. If this makes you feel this way, if this is what this means, then that's accurate. That's how you feel. And you're able to make your own interpretations. Uh, So it's a very empowering method of, of tuning your intuition and listening to your intuition, listening to your body and uh, following the, the feminine ancestors, both literal <laughs> blood ancestors and chosen ancestors, which is a concept that I'm uh, really into that I'm learning about chosen ancestors. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds cool. But ultimately to say that this has been a very rewarding and an interesting experience for me, both like diving back into learning the tarot and being determined to learn a little more of the history of the tarot. So if you want a tarot reading, hit me up on Instagram, whatever. Like we might do like a, we might do like a video chat, whatevs, and I will read your tarot card and we will do our own work to uh, process and unlearn a lot of the things that we've learned and have a good time and uh, have some perspective and look at some cool pictures. I love that. And that's the end of me talking about the tarot deck today. I love that. I love all of that. I'm excited to hear more about your, your journey. My and- journey. And all of it. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. Sarah, Aww. what are you talking about this week? Um, and now for something completely different. <clears throat> this but is... But weird again, right? I'm excited about weird. Just very... I was going back today sort of being like, what's... Uh, what do I want to talk about? And I do... I spend a lot of time on Reddit, on different forums. And anytime I see something that makes me go, huh, I always dog ear it, bookmark it, save it for later. And so occasionally I'll, you know, especially when I come down off doing something big like Waco, uh, I'll be like, I need something a little bit lighter, a little easier (laughs) for the next few weeks. Something a little lighter on the palate. So it's like, so what are some things that I found? And uh, I was rediscovered this little tidbit of history. And this is, I'm calling it, the fiasco that was the marathon at the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis. Okay. I'd never heard of this. Tell me about it. All right. Well, get ready. It's a fiasco. So the marathon, uh, again, 1904 Olympics in St. Louis. This specific marathon, the distance had not yet been standardized for, like, the Olympics. Huh. So... And this is what, you said 1906? 1904. 1904. So in St. Louis, for this, the course was 24.85 miles, or 40 kilometers. Organizers started the marathon at 3 p.m. 
whereas most contemporary marathons start in the early morning to take advantage of the cooler times of the day. Yeah. And what time of year was this? It's the summer, right? The Summer Olympics. Yeah, I want to say, like, July. I was going to say, had they <laughs> standardized the time of year that they did the Olympics? I don't know. Do I have it written down? <laughs> I want to say, like, July. Okay. Sometime in July. Yeah, no, none of, all of what I'm about to tell you for why this went awry is because none of this was planned or executed the Jesus. right way. And one of the first parts of that is that they started this race in the hottest part of the day. Jesus Christ. Right? Three o'clock in the afternoon. In St. Louis, Missouri. The start included five laps around the stadium track, and then the rest of the course was on dusty roads where race officials would ride in vehicles ahead of and behind the runners. This created dust clouds that exacerbated the severely hot and humid conditions with a temperature of around 90 degrees Fahrenheit when they started the race. The course eventually ended back at the stadium where it started. Here's our facts about it. The first place finisher did most of the race in a car. What? He had intended to drop out and got a car back to the stadium to get his change of clothes and just kind of started jogging when he heard the fanfare. This man's name is Fred Lors. He had dropped out of the race after nine miles from suffering cramps and hitched a ride back to the stadium in a car, waving at spectators and runners alike during the ride. Get the fuck out. When the car broke down at the 19th mile... He re-entered the race and jogged across the finish line. Fucking ate it. And subsequently became the first to arrive at the finish line after three hours and 13 minutes, which is more than 13 minutes slower than the winning time in 1900. Anyway. And did he let people believe that he had just finished running it? After being hailed as the winner, he had his photograph taken with Alice Roosevelt, daughter of then U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt, and was about to be awarded the gold medal when his subterfuge was revealed. Upon being confronted by officials, Fred immediately admitted his deception, and despite his claims that he was just joking... The AAU responded by banning him for life. Yeah, I fucking bet they did. This was later reduced to just a year after it was found that he had not initially intended to defraud. Fred Lors later won the 1905 Boston Marathon. The second place finisher, who then by default became the first place, was carried across the finish line by his trainers. Thomas Hicks. Ten miles from the finish, Hicks led the race by a mile and a half, but he had to be restrained from stopping and lying down by his trainers because he was fucking tired. It was hot. And he couldn't breathe. From then until the end of the race, Hicks received several doses of strychnine mixed with brandy. Fucking A. They gave him rat poison which stimulates the nervous system in small doses, and mixed it with brandy. He continued to battle onwards, hallucinating, barely able to walk for most of the course. When he reached the stadium, his support team carried him over the line, holding him in the air while he shuffled his feet as if still running. 
and he carried, he went across the finish line. Hicks had to be carried off the track and might have died in the stadium had he not been treated immediately by several doctors. He had lost eight pounds during the course of the marathon. Shut up. Doping wasn't illegal yet, so he ended up receiving the gold medal when the first guy was revealed to have just driven the course. Oh, my God. The third finisher was unremarkable, somehow. The fourth finisher was a Cuban mailman named Andarin Carvajal. Carvajal. I'm not, I'm butchering it. Look it up. This man had raised the funds to attend the Olympics by running nonstop around his entire country. He ran nonstop around Cuba to raise the money to go to the Olympics. He landed in New Orleans and promptly lost all of the traveling money on a riverboat casino. Stop! He then had to hitchhike to St. Louis and arrived at the race at the very last minute and had to run the event in his street clothes, which were dress shoes and long trousers. His trousers were eventually cut off at the knee by a fellow competitor with a knife who no doubtedly felt sorry for him. So he cut his pants into shorts. He probably would have come in first, well, second behind the guy in the car, had it not been for the hour-long nap he took on the side of the track during the race after eating rotten apples he found by the side. The Olympics were wild. So he got to New Orleans from Cuba, and he got on a casino riverboat and lost all of his money, hitchhiked to the Olympics that he was there for, was in his street clothes, ran the entire race in dress shoes, but because he hadn't eaten in, I think, like 40 hours, he saw these apples on the side of the road, and he stopped to eat them. And they were rotten. They were rotten, and so he lay down and took a nap, and he lost an hour. And still came in third place. And he came in fourth place. Fourth place. Third. Was unremarkable. Of people on their, well, I was going to say people on their feet. Yes. Third was unremarkable. (laughs) The ninth and twelfth finishers were from South Africa and ran barefoot. South Africa didn't actually send a delegation. These were students who just happened to be in town and thought that it sounded like fun. It's been speculated that the ninth place finisher would have placed much higher had he not been chased a mile off course by angry dogs. Stop! Note also, these are the first Africans to compete in any modern Olympic event. Damn. Fuck. <laughs> this is wild. Half of the participants in this race had never raced competitively before, and some of them died. Because Blood from the heat, from running in the heat. And St. Louis only had one water stop on the entire road. Oh, for 24 miles? They had a stop in the stadium, and then when they left the stadium to run that long stretch, there was only one water stop. This coupled with the dusty road and exacerbated by the cars kicking up the dust, driving in front of and behind them, led to fatalities. Ooh. And yet somehow rat poison guy survived to get the gold medal by default because first place guy just took a cab. Here's the kicker. The Russian delegation arrived a week late because they were still using an old outdated calendar called the Julian calendar. Stop. 
Overall, the marathon ended with the worst ratio of entrants to finishers. Only 14 people out of 32 finished the race. And by far the slowest winning time, three hours, 28 minutes and 45 seconds, almost 30 minutes slower than the second slowest winning time. And that was the fiasco that was the Olympic marathon at the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis. What a mess. Isn't that silly? There's Isn't so that much, so silly? I guess it's so shocking to me that some of those standards weren't in place yet because the Olympics have been around for literally like a thousand years. <laughs> right? Haven't they? That's my understanding. I don't know. I didn't get that deep into all of it. I just had to... I saw a Reddit thread where someone was like, oh, check this out. Bing, 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 bing. All this happened. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm like Googling it now. When the Olympics started? Yeah, the Olympic Games, which originated in ancient Greece as many as 3,000 years ago, were revived in the late 19th century. So that would have been so the, the late, late 1800s. 1800s. So in the so early it was 1900s, fairly they probably have been like, doing it like that for a minute. It wasn't totally standardized yet, but still, but still, it just was not. It was like the fire festival of the Olympic Games. Nothing was planned right. No one talked to anyone. Fourth place runner did it in dress shoes. <laughs> so get this. I'm just going to read this one paragraph. After the Roman Empire conquered Greece in the mid-2nd century B.C., the games continued, but their standards and quality declined. <laughs> in one notorious example from 67 A.D., the decadent Emperor Nero entered an Olympic chariot race only to disgrace himself by declaring himself the winner, even after he fell off his chariot during the <laughs> event. <laughs> In, th- in 393 A.D., Emperor Theodosius I, a Christian, called for a ban on all pagan festivals, ending the ancient Olympic tradition after nearly 12 centuries. Wow, what a jerk. It would be another 1,500 years before the games would rise again, largely thanks to the efforts of Baron Pierre de Coubertin, 1863 to 1937, of France. Uh, dedicated to the promotion of physical education, the young Baron became inspired by the idea of creating a modern Olympic Games after visiting the ancient Olympic site and in November of 1892 at a meeting of the Union des Sports Athletiques in Paris, Coubertin proposed the idea of reviving the Olympics as an international athletic competition held every four years. And they are still trying to get all those kinks They're still organized. trying to get all the kinks worked out. Over a hundred years later, a hundred, you know, longer than that because we had so we're yeah, still so having issues over with the Olympics. Like a hundred thirty years later, two years later, he got the approval he needed to found the International Olympic Committee, which would become the governing body of the modern Olympic Games. Wow, wow, wild! They, as of nineteen oh four, that shit around Nero calling that. himself the winner after he fell off is pretty fucking hysterical. Some I love, I love the way it put it too. Only to bullshit. disgrace himself. <laughs> By declaring himself the winner, even after he fell off his chariot. I still won. I still won. Y'all, Nero was wild. Piece of shit. 
I mean, he's the one that was in charge when it all went down, right? I think so. Isn't that what it is? Because don't say hold was, me to it. Because the legend has it, he was playing his fiddle as Rome was burning. And the only reason I remember that is because you read somewhere that Donald Trump was taking fiddle lessons. No, is because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the musical episode. <laughs> and specifically, it's a line that Sweet says, which Sweet is who I played in the stage production, which is he's talking about how he's been around for a long time. And he has a line, which is I bought Nero his very first fiddle is one of the lines. Because of the legend that Nero was like playing his fiddle as Rome was burning down, because he was crazy, because he was super inbred too. Let's be real, super inbred. <laughs> Ultimately, what I learned, all of this comes back to put your kids in the theater arts because they'll learn history and and things like that. Like you learn, Nero, right? You learn all sorts of cool shit with theater, which also started in ancient Greece. We're not going down that. Oh, okay. I thought you had pulled up that Wikipedia page. Oh, no, 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 no. I was just like, which, like the Olympics, also started in ancient Greece. They had a lot of, you know, they kept themselves entertained. I mean, so did democracy. That's the sham we pretend to keep doing these days. That started in ancient Greece, too. Our democracy is like the Olympic marathon in 1904. Just a joke. So that's what happened. So that's, uh, that's the fiasco of the marathon. There's my fun, weird story for the week. I love that. What a good time. Keeping it light. Well, next week we'll have maybe some, maybe we'll talk about holidays. I don't know. We'll do whatever we want because it's our show. And not yours. But the next two episodes come out on an eve. Eve, eve. They come on the eve of the eve. The eves. Christmas eve, eve, and New Year's eve, eve. We'll Even keep evenings. that in mind. So happy, happy holidays to you and yours. Have a as we marvelous, marvelous situ- like, you know, holiday situation. And if you're feeling very giving, we have a Patreon. We do, bitch. We have a Patreon. You should subscribe to it. You should write us an email at deadtimestories at gmail.com. You should follow us on Instagram. And you should write us that five-star review on yes, the iTunes please. store, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to our podcast that lets you rate it. And tell them it's the best podcast ever. And then log into your other email and do it again. It's a gift that keeps on giving. And you can keep on giving by logging into your alternate emails. That's and it. giving more reviews. That's all I have to say about that. That's it. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm Stephanie. Idiots. <laughs> I'm Stephanie, you idiots. Uh, I'm Sarah. And wow. This has been. Because I already did it. You did, I guess. I did it earlier. And this has been. She's dead such an time. Idiot. God damn it. This, <laughs> this has been. Dead, dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening, idiot. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Remy Slackman. 